Welcome to Beyond the Paper Gown. I'm Dr. Mitzi Crockover. As you'll hear from our guest today, aging is a privilege. There's no doubt about that. But at some point, many of us think about freshening up our look in one way or another, and if you're like me, the number of choices may seem overwhelming. So imagine my delight when I had the opportunity to get all my questions answered with a renowned dermatologist, and I can't wait for you to hear as well. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the latest advances in the world of cosmetic dermatology, including popular treatments like Botox, dermal fillers, chemical peels, laser therapy, and more. We'll explore how these treatments work, what benefits they offer, and what some of the downsides might be as well. We'll also talk about the special concerns for women of color, as well as how to choose a practitioner to get the results you're looking for. This is episode two of a two-part discussion with Dr. Monica Lee, a double board certified dermatologist in Canada and the United States, and a clinical instructor in the Department of Dermatology and Skin Science at the University of British Columbia. She's author of numerous book chapters and peer-reviewed publications, and a laser therapy expert. And if that weren't enough, she also supports a number of women's causes, including the British Columbia Women's Hospital. Our first episode focused on skin care, which is foundational, no matter what approach you take, and I highly recommend checking it out. There's a lot of good information there, too. I'd also like to recommend subscribing to our podcast on whatever platform you listen to so you can be sure to get the latest episodes, as well as subscribing to our newsletter at beyondthepapergown.com. We'll let you know about our podcast articles and even throw in some extras each month. And before we get started, just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice. Everyone has unique needs, and we highly recommend discussing your concerns or even what you hear today with your own healthcare provider. So let's get started. We've got a lot to cover. I've heard that perhaps, and I don't know if this is a rumor or a recommendation, that the younger that you start in terms of doing certain treatments, the more effective they are. Is that true? With regards to treatments, um, it, I think patients can benefit from prevention with some of the interventions that are offered in the realm of cosmetic dermatology. For instance, um, if we're talking about neuromodulator, um, and a, one of the brands um, that are out there that I'm sure most people know about is like Botox. That's what a neuromodulator mm-hmm. is. You know, uh, younger patients can uh, pursue those treatments because we know that neuromodulators as a category of uh, medication treatment helps to reduce lines uh, from forming on the skin due to facial expression. And so as we live life longer, we're going to make more facial expressions. We're going to smile more. We're going to frown more. We're going to make all sorts of motions. And with just anything in life wear and tear, we're going to see more of those lines over time being etched on the skin, even when we're not making those facial expressions. So yes, there is a there can be benefit and there can be a role for patients who are interested to start uh, not necessarily in their 30s and 40s, but perhaps in their 20s, where we're doing baby dosing, we're doing the minimal minimal, but we are helping those muscles relax so that 
there isn't those lines that are formed from facial expressions in the first place uh, and preventing them from developing. Um, so that's one option. The other thing is that, you know, taking care of your skin uh, in terms of treatments like laser rejuvenation is something that also can be started young um, because a lot of these laser uh, options that we have now they are targeting collagen synthesis. They are targeting uh, improving the even skin tone of the face, neck, or chest, or hands. Um, and so we're, we're not even putting anything necessarily in the body, but we're just using laser and light technologies to improve skin health and help boost the abilities of the skin to uh, produce the normal hyaluronic acid that they, we would normally produce. So. Um, it's not necessary or mandatory uh, or absolute that a younger person has to pursue these treatments. I have younger patients who, uh, you know, just want to come in and talk to me about skincare. And that's completely, absolutely fine because um, everybody's comfort level is going to be different. Everybody's budget is going to be different. So it's yes. not like if you don't get started young, you're, you're missing out. But I go back to the principles, especially with my younger patients. Make sure, be careful in the sun, wear your sunscreen having a holistic approach to overall physical and mental wellness because all those components contribute to helping prevent um, unwanted things from coming up on the skin over time. Yes, and then on the other end, is there any time that's too old to get benefit from some of those modalities that you mentioned? Um, I, I will draw an analogy where no matter how what age we are at it's always never too late to stop cigarette smoking um, it's never too late to start exercising it's never too late to eat well uh, whatever benefits we can get from the choices that we make in life we can still get benefits from them even if we didn't make that decision earlier so i i, I really don't have uh uh, an age cutoff where I tell a patient, you're 95, I'm not going to do a laser treatment for you. Um, if that person came into my office, and of course, when they explain to me through the consultation process their reasons for seeking care, and I listen and I understand where they're coming from in terms of what they're trying to target or improve, um, then so the interventions that we offer really can be offered in any age group. And as people's overall health um, gets better and they live longer, that number, the chronological age number, isn't the same as what that person really uh, is feeling inside and the uh, amount of activity and their function is. So someone who is now 80, I know many 80-year-olds who function and live and laugh um, like they're 60, they're 50. Um, and even when they come into my office and they're looking for interventions, they don't even look 80. So, you know, and they could very well live another 10, 15, 20 years of their life. So um, the, the treatments that we offer, it really, it, it's more about helping that patient address the priorities that are important to them on their skin. And I will offer options so that patients can make that decisions that's aligned with their priorities help us understand what some of those options are and the reason why somebody might choose one or, or, or more of them. 
so, I mean, the options that, uh, if we're talking about in the realm of cosmetic dermatology, uh, mm-hmm. beyond skin care, the options for uh, range from non-invasive to minimally invasive. And so I would categorize them into injectables, and those injectables include neuromodulators, and you know a common brand that patients can identify or understand or have know from known from before is like Botox. Um, then there's cosmetic injectables in the um, area of fillers, dermal fillers, and those dermal fillers could be um, either hyaluronic acid based or other types of material based. Um, and then there's also agents like deoxycholic acid, which helps to uh, helps with fat reduction. It helps with basically um, lysis of fat cells, thereby reducing stubborn pockets of fat. That even with good uh, diet, a good diet and exercise, um, those stubborn pockets of fat might not be so easily reduced. So that's the cosmetic injectable uh, pocket. And then there's the other umbrella, which uh, refers to our laser and light devices. So our laser and light devices range from things that target red uh, to targeting brown. It could involve uh, a little bit of ultrasound or radio frequency energy to help with skin laxity and tightening and firming the skin. Um, and then there's now uh, a, a, a subset of that laser and light technology based treatments where um, you know, we have options to improve the um, contraction and the toning of muscles. Um, we can use these technologies to also melt fat um, through uh, a, a technique called cryolipolysis. So, um, and then more recently, there's within that realm uh, evolution of technologies where now a machine can take tiny little cores uh, of tissue. Um, almost like microscopic skin biopsies with thousands of them on the skin to create uh, this mega wound injury. And then that stimulates a wound healing cascade to then uh, cause a lot of collagen synthesis that then helps also to firm and tighten the skin. But at the end of the day, the laser and light uh, umbrella is trying to use energy and harness the ability of energy to uh, stimulate collagen and elastin production. So within those umbrellas, uh, you know, there's the injectables, then there's going to be your laser and light technologies. Um, Those um, within those umbrellas, we can then pick and choose and customize options and combinations to address whatever that particular patient might come in with um, that has been bothering them. And you said you talked about generating collagen, and so I would assume, and know actually, that you have to do multiple treatments. Of course. Um, And uh, Mitzi, you brought up a great point. Um, The point is that anything in life requires maintenance. And I tell my patients, you can't go to the gym, get really toned (laughs) arms, or get a six-pack, see it in the mirror and expect it'll stay with you forever if you don't go back to the gym again. So that gym membership cannot be just for one month. Um, And likewise, whether a patient chooses to do treatments with me or they choose to just stick with a skincare routine, the key word there is consistency and the key word there is maintenance. Um, So because of that, um, many of the cosmetic injectables or 
laser or light treatments requires maintenance. It requires multiple treatments to see results, which appears over the course of several months. But thereafter, patients need to periodically um, also undergo these treatments so that we can maintain results. Um, I always tell my patients, I, can't, I can help with someone aging gracefully, naturally, but I can't stop aging. Aging is a privilege. I can't stop time. And because of that, the treatments that I do requires maintenance so that I can walk alongside someone who's getting older, which we all do, um, and be able to help them um, despite the fact that time moves forward, we can still make them the best versions of themselves at any point in time. I am going to use that. Aging is a privilege. That is a beautiful thought. So I want to dig a little bit deeper in some of the things that you just talked about, which was a great overview. I really appreciate it. It's now becoming clearer to me. So thank you. Mm -hmm. With respect to the injectables, we talked about Botox specifically and, and the ones that are the neuromodulators. There's obviously more than one. What are some of the side effects that someone might want to know about? Uh, so neuromodulators as a category involves us uh, using needles to put that medication into directly muscles. Um, and then once the it's in the muscles, it takes a few days for the relaxation of um, the contraction of that muscle so that the lines of facial expressions are reduced and softened. Um, and so because needles are involved, of course, the most common side effect that patients might experience is when I put the needle in, they feel a little bit of pain or discomfort. Uh, there is the risk of bruising. Uh, of course, our face and anywhere in the body is very vascular. Uh, that's how we live and breathe as human beings. And so uh, it, it's not a matter of technique. There is always the potential for bruising be, and bleeding because uh, there's a puncturing of the skin uh, with something that's sharp. Um, and then beyond that, um, you know, if someone um, has neuromodulator treatment, especially the first time, they may experience a bit of headache. Um, that's a bit of dull. It's in the background. It lasts no more than 24 hours. That is not uncommon and likely related to just, you know, the person adapting to that treatment for the first time, especially. And then there's potential side effects where uh, because all of our muscles work in tandem and they work uh, synergistically with each other. No muscle exists in isolation or move in isolation. Sometimes when we relax one area, there's another area that might compensate. And because of that, sometimes th there may be some eyebrow or eyelid asymmetry. There may be some, um, you know, more than desired uh, drop, uh, which often can be corrected. There are measures and that's why, uh, you know, the other element is I always tell my patients, you know, don't do these treatments in someone's basement. Um, don't do these treatments in someone's garage. Make sure you go to someone who is, you know, in my specialty board certified that they know what they're doing because it's not just a matter of delivering these treatments, which are medical treatments at the end of the day but that they know how to handle, they can recognize any side effects that come up and they can then manage it appropriately and provide the right hand to help that patient go through that process. 
Um, so, but those are some of the more common side effects I, you know, I always inform my patients about so that they can make an informed decision and there's no surprises. Um, but, and, but they are, they're not, especially with asymmetry, they're not common side effects. And then with the fillers, in addition to those side effects that you talked about with respect to the actual injection, anything that our listeners need to know about those? Okay, Nancy. So you uh, you asked a great question um, because <laughs> again, it it goes back to the fact that um, sometimes it really scares me as a as a physician, as a dermatologist, to know that um, patients um, they go for treatments sometimes based on you know marketing or based on social media or based on pricing, and at the end of the day, these are still medical treatments where uh, for the most part, uh, the majority of the times, there's no concerns. Uh, patients are happy, the physician's happy, which is great, and everybody uh, has great outcomes. Um, but it's always the un- rare time or uncommon time where a problem happens, then it's really important to see someone who is knowledgeable and experienced. And pertaining to filler injections, it's particularly important because Rarely there can be side effects. I mean, filler material is a gel. Um, and that gel-like material, when it's put into the face, whether it's for cheeks, temples, lips, chin, uh, or other areas, uh, the gel material, if they get into blood vessels, uh, it can, it's, it's like plumbing. <laughs> um, <laughs> if something is clogged, it's not gonna allow for flow. And if that blood vessel that's clogged happens to flow to the eye, the brain, or to the skin, unfortunately, uh, though rare, there can be the side effects of blindness, of even stroke, um, of skin breakdown or necrosis because there's no oxygen supply. Um, And so, you know, when I see my patients in consultation and I bring up these side effects, um, they're like, "I, I never knew this. We do our best not to run to these issues, but patients need to really fully be informed that these treatments are medical in nature. These are potential side effects, the ones I mentioned, and uh, be fully aware of them and trust that the person they end up deciding to see to undergo these treatments are also fully aware of them so that they can then manage appropriately if these problems do arise. Sure. And then short of that really dramatic example that you gave, my understanding is that you can sometimes get an uneven result, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, you know, the more, I guess, common potential side effects of filler uh, treatments, yes, um, it's you're correct, there can be some asymmetry, sometimes there can be, you know, some bumps that we can feel under the skin. They can co- sometimes come up months later after an injection. Um, you know, the, the full cause of why this happens, um, we're still, you know, the, the understanding of this understanding of it is still, um, evolving. And I always tell my patients, you know, I am conservative. We can always start by doing a little first. And then if once the results settle in, you can always come back and we can always add more. And if yes, there may be a bit of asymmetry once the swelling post-treatment, which is common, and that's seen almost often in most patients, subsides. If there is any tweaks that we need to do, if we need to add more, then come on back and I can then adjust accordingly. 
That seems like a very sane approach. And so I think that's really important. I didn't mean to scare anybody, but I, I think it's really important, as you've so well articulated, that you really do need to consider all of this as you're making your decision. Moving on to laser, give us kind of an overview of the kinds of laser, the downtime, and what individuals should consider as they're making their choices on that. There's been so much evolution uh, with regards to the technology over the last uh, five, six decades. Um, and with that, it's caused the market to explode with um, options that I can appreciate uh, can be quite confusing and difficult to navigate. Um, so, you oh, know, so it's not just you, me. Great. Okay, good. It's absolutely not just you. Um, <laughs> there are so often there are so many devices now that it's even sometimes confusing uh, or difficult for a physician who is in the field to choose from of what they would want to bring into their practice of what they want to offer to their patients. Um, because at the end of the day, the basic principle, as I alluded to earlier with laser and light technologies, is that they harness the benefit of energy and it's using the energy to then stimulate cells in our skin to produce collagen and elastin, uh, which underlies many of the skin concerns as we all get older with like, you know, sagging, skin laxity, wrinkles, lines. Um, so, you know, with laser and light therapy, um, it really depends on the technology that's delivered. So, you know, the, at the very top of that hill would be, you know, fully ablative uh, resurfacing. Um, and this would involve things like a CO2 laser. And when it's fully ablative um, uh, resurfacing, of course, uh, we're lo looking at ablation or vaporization of the skin um, at the very top layer, but also, uh, uh, you know, a little bit underneath the skin. So it's a it's a major wound injury. And if we are doing it ablative resurfacing, <laughs> there's definitely numbing involved <laughs> and aesthetic involved. But, oh, when, when, <laughs> uh, but when there's ablative resurfacing, then of course, you know, the it's it's a little bit like investing what that we talk to our patients about like you know sometimes it's if there's high risk um there could be high gains um so if there's a bit more high risk with ablative resurfacing then oftentimes we can get more dramatic results but with that there's increased risk of things like infection within the risk of infection there's the risk of scarring you know there can be contraction of tissue and for instance if the contraction happens closer to the eye it can cause you know the uh, eye under part of the eye to kind of you know fold out which you know needs then to be managed by the eye specialist so you know there there's a whole slew of course with something so uh, assertive um, of potential side effects um, that can occur and then if it's not you know the top of the hill with your fully ablative resurfacing you're looking at you know the non-ablative uh, resurfacing or non-ablative fractional resurfacing um, then because the energy is less that's delivered through the skin we uh, those same side effects may also appear like infection scarring you know uneven pigmentation uh, but they are relatively uh, at a lower percentage um, and then nowadays we have laser and light technologies that um, are even more dialed down. Um, we are able to, for instance, uh, in my office, I use a lot of um, picosecond laser uh, treatments. And picosecond now is the kind of the latest 
evolution of the speed of lasers. And with picosecond, because it's so fast relative to the previous generation of lasers, um, it doesn't deliver as much heat energy into the skin. And with laser and light technologies, a lot of the problems that arise from side effects is due to the amount of heat. Um, and so if we are able to reduce the amount of heat, but instead uh, harness uh, a, a like the uh, outcomes of that laser, which is called photomechanical, so it's using light, but uh, it's the speed of the light that helps to break down pigment. It helps to uh, stimulate cells to produce collagen rather than heat to do that then again, relative to previous technologies or more aggressive technologies, those potential side effects, which are universally seen across laser and light treatments, again, is gonna be even less than the other previous options. Does that mean you have to go more frequently though? Um, yeah, if it's a fully ablative laser treatment, resurfacing laser treatment, um, usually this type of treatment is going to only be done once a year, uh, maybe once every even five, six years, uh, depending on what the concern is, the severity of the concern, for instance, the severity of the wrinkles, um, and then also the outcomes that is able to be achieved for that patient. Uh, in comparison, if we're talking about uh, more gentle, uh, newer laser and light therapies, then often it requires a series as we talked about, uh, but then the maintenance might be a bit more frequent than if we were to have something that was much more aggressive. Do you want to say anything about differences between populations in terms of ethnicity or race and how important that is to factor in to some of these treatments and results? You know, there's going to be different um, aspects when we're talking about skin of color or uh, patients of different um, tones across that skin spectrum. Um, so there's, you know, it actually uh, a number of uh, several decades ago, there were, were papers that have shown the actual characteristic of the skin barriers different. If someone was black, they have less um, ceramides on their skin. And uh, many patients of Asian descent or Asian background often will also uh, report more sensitive skin. And so understanding these characteristics of the skin barrier helps us determine perhaps what ingredients to recommend to our patients as part of their products to uh, you know, kind of help with those deficits or help with those concerns. So if it's a black patient or a black woman and we know that the ceramides are uh, in less concentration, we may recommend a moisturizer or cleanser that has ceramides added to it. Uh, whereas for what are a patient, ceramides? Oh, ceramides are, um, so ceramides are basically a component of the skin uh, surface. It's a component of the stratum corneum, which is the skin, the top, top layer of the skin. And in fact, it can uh, be up to 50% of the composition of the stratum corneum. And um, ceramides are basically an ingredient that is, um, uh, it helps to keep the, the bricks and mortar model of what we know microscopically is on the skin. And that bricks and mortar model is important to help keep out uh, microbes, allergens, irritants, but also to retain our own moisture at the skin surface so that the skin uh, is supple. Um, so ceramides can be an ingredient that's actually additionally added into a product and, and to help replenish or to restore what would be the normal concentration that we want 
um, at that skin surface to be able to have a robust uh, physical uh, barrier. Um, so, you know, we can cater or curate certain product recommendations based on what we understand about the skin characteristics, that there's one element of that. Um, the other element is that, you know, in skin of color patients, the, we talked about side effects earlier with different treatments. And in skin of color patients, inherently inflammation treatments um, compared to someone who is less richly pigmented, they are more likely to develop unwanted pigmentation afterwards. Um, so when we select our treatments, we have to be mindful of that. We have to be, you know, maybe adjust our laser settings so that it's milder. Uh, we have to maybe in, when we inject, uh, you know, neuromodulators or fillers, we try to not minimize the number of um, uh, insertions of the needle so that we don't puncture and cause inflammation in the skin. So there's that uh, element as well. Um, and then in skin of color patients, there's going to be um, concerns and issues that are uh, more disproportionate in that population than, say, patients who are less richly pigmented. Um, so, for instance, acne, something that is so common in our society, and it, acne certainly can affect women over 40. Acne can leave marks, it can leave redness, it can leave brown, it can leave scars. Um, and in skin of color patients, these uh, sequelae or unwanted outcomes of acne occurs more often than mm -hmm. in less richly pigmented individuals. So patient priorities coming in for what we as dermatologists can help them address is gonna also differ because of what we see on their skin due to the fact that they are of different ethnic makeup. It impresses me that as one selects a dermatologist that you would wanna know that they have that knowledge what other recommendations would you have for someone who's trying to select uh, someone to help them with their skin problems? Um, you know, when the relationship between a dermatologist and a patient uh, really, I consider, is a long-term one. Um, and it's long-term because from a medical perspective, taking care of our skin and making sure our skin is healthy, you know, monitoring for uh, skin cancers, um, and skin conditions like acne, rosacea, melasma, eczema, they're very common in the population. Uh, people have skin concerns periodically. So there's that medical element and um, partnership with a dermatologist to manage that. Then there's, of course, the cosmetic aspect where it could be a lump or bump that someone doesn't like and they just want it removed safely and effectively. Or we're now talking about globally trying to, you know, improve the confidence of an individual, trying to, you know, help them restore and bring the best versions of themselves out. So because of that long-term relationship, uh, you know, you really need to find a dermatologist that you trust and that you jive with. Um, so, you know, sometimes that's, and that's why the, it always starts with a consultation. And by talking to that individual, you, you would know if, they can be aligned uh, and they can help you uh, select treatments that are aligned with values, perspectives, budget, everything. And, and um, you know, choosing that board certified dermatologist is really important. You know, it, 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 there's a lot of years of school, uh, Mitzi, as you understand, to become a <laughs> physician, to become a specialist because a dermatologist is a specialist in the field. 
It takes many years of school, and even after that, there's lifelong learning that as physicians we all engage in. So we never stop learning because there's always advances. There's always evolution of medications and treatments,、um, and science. And so、um, you know, having that board-certified dermatologist and knowing that they're committed to continuing to improve themselves and improve in what they can offer to a patient. Um, and having that confidence that they can do that, and they do do that,、um, I think that's all important selection criteria for a patient to know that they, the person that they ch-、uh, ch- ultimately choose,、um, can address and have their best interests in mind. Earlier, you talked about plastic surgery and dermatology, and so I think it's. Understandable if you decide that you want to have a facelift or, or something more quick in terms of results,、mm-hmm. that might be a choice. But a number of plastic surgeons are also doing some of the aesthetics that you've talked about. So how do you make that decision? For dermatologists, we are specialists of the skin. We understand the characteristics、uh, and the、uh, you know the basic science of the skin as an organ. Um, and because of that, you know, when it comes down to discussing skincare, when we're talking about skin quality, skin health, this is the core of what defines our specialty.、Um, and in contrast, when you talk to a plastic surgeon or you talk about plastic surgery, you know, they are looking at reconstruction. They are surgical. They they correct and improve concerns patients have. Um, by you know adjusting tissue and you know suturing, so the the approach is、um, different, and the concerns that we each target are different. We can work often in、uh, synergy,、uh, and I have a number of plastic surgeons in the city who you know we share patients for different concerns, and that's totally fine. Um, but at the end of the day, the decision for that patient to go—if it's the exact same thing, say it's a laser treatment—and it's offered by a dermatologist versus a plastic surgeon, you know, first of all, ask if it's the dermatologist or the plastic surgeon actually performing the treatment, because there may be offices where they delegate that treatment to、uh, a secondary provider, like a laser technician or an esthetician.、Um, so even though you are going to the dermatologist or the plastic surgeon's office, you're not actually getting the treatment done by them, right? So that's one element. But at the end of the day, it's that、um, you know it's always okay to get an, an additional opinion. It's always okay to go through a number of consultations before deciding what a particular specialist、um, uh, has to offer, and also、um, how that person jives with you, how that person resonates with you, and is able to actively listen to your concerns and address it. And that that decision is a very individualized one, and. I, I don't think there's a right or wrong between either specialty. That's helpful. Well, Dr. Lee, Dr. Monica Lee, you have given us so much of your time. I'm so appreciative of it. So, before I let you go, what did I not ask you that you think is important for our listeners to know or understand? Um. So, first of all, Mitzi, again, thank you for having me.、Um, I feel very privileged to be able to. To be the person to have that knowledge and experience to be able to share with my patients,、uh, and here share with our audience members,、um, so that they know there are different tools and different ways in which we can support the journey 
of aging. It's not something to be feared. It really is a privilege. We uh, often get wiser, hopefully. Um, <laughs> and, and with that wisdom, there's going to be some lines and some spots and it's okay. We're, we're not trying to look 15 forever. That's never the point. Um, it's just about making sure we feel as good as we feel inside the way we look outside. Um, so thank you for having me. Thank you for letting me, uh, giving me a forum to kind of share these thoughts. I think there's a lot of misconceptions out there, you know, a lot of social media trends and TikToks and articles, sometimes the information that it, there's a, so much pressure um, for women to need to look, to think that they need to look a certain way. But at the end of the day, it's about embracing aging, embracing individuality, embracing the decisions that we make and um, and what's right for us. Well, Dr. Monica Lee, it's a privilege having you here. So thank you so much for being with us. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know I learned a lot. And while aging is a privilege, I realize that so is the opportunity to seek some of these treatments. And I really appreciated Dr. Lee's views about choosing carefully according to what you want and how much you want to spend, and as she put it, not breaking the piggy bank. I also appreciate that more women are choosing how they want to feel and look and not try to recapture their youth. It's a great legacy to leave our younger generation. I'd love to hear your thoughts, so please leave us a comment. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, as well as on our community forum page at beyondthepapergown.com. As always, thanks for listening and be well. Our podcast is produced by Patrick Shambayati and me, and our associate producer is Kyla McMillian.